0: Her abusive husband almost killed her. Leslie Morgan Steiner suffered under the roof of an abusive husband for many years. Now, who would think that this could possibly happen to a former Washington Post executive, a best-selling author, with degrees in two Ivy League schools, but it did. Because Leslie, you see, was crazy in love, i.e. the book, with a man who beat her, to abandon on a regular basis, an experience that she does recount in this book. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the experience, how it happened, how she survived and how she got out. So stay tuned.
1: Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sakalaski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie.
0: So before we get started, I have to thank Betty Ryder Boutique at Preston Center. Just go through the red door for this beautiful, colorful shirt that I'm wearing. Betty Ryder. Thank you for sponsoring this part of the show, Betty. Um, goodness, where do you start with a segment like this? I am just going to go right to Leslie and tell you, Leslie, how very much I'm honored. You have been on all the national broadcasts. You've been doing I don't know how many interviews, so I'm really honored. Thank you for sharing one more time this
2: story. It's my pleasure.
0: So, without any ado, just what is the story? What happened? You were 22 and? Well, yes,
2: so really, as you said, the biggest myth about abusive relationships is none of us think it's ever gonna happen to us. Mm -hmm. And we think if we come from the right family or live in the right neighborhood or have the right education, that it somehow makes us above it or immune. And that's what I thought. And I didn't grow up in a violent family, a very education achievement-oriented family. Mm I went to Harvard College, I graduated, I moved to New York City for my first job at Seventeen Magazine. And I met, I met wonderful men everywhere. There are lots of wonderful men in the world. But I fell in love with the wrong one. And one of the men who I was dating in New York was particularly handsome and charming and adored me. And he too had just graduated from an Ivy League school. He worked at a very impressive investment bank. And before I knew it, because one of the hallmarks of abuse is that the fairy tale always does happen very quickly. So before I knew it, I had fallen really head over heels in love with him. And it was, it was like falling off a cliff. Like I didn't even know what had happened. I was suddenly so in love with him. And he made me feel special and smart, and beautiful, and this is a hard thing to capture, but I want to try to describe for you how he made me feel inside. He made me feel like he could see inside me in a way that no one in my life ever had before. Not my own mother, not my best friend from third grade, not my father, or siblings, I, he, he saw me, and it was a really powerful and intoxicating experience. And he told me the most wonderful things, that I was the prettiest girl he'd ever dated, that he understood why I was working at Seventeen Magazine, that it was because I wanted to help teenage girls, which I did. He told me I'd make a wonderful writer one day, which was my dream. And he also, he told me something really magical that no one had ever said to me before, Hmm. which is, that he knew I would make a great mother one day. And he just made me melt inside. And I, nothing in my life had prepared me for this. I don't think anything in anyone's life can ever prepare you for being love bombed at the hands of a very masterful, manipulative, Mm. eventually abusive person. And he didn't come with any kind of warning label. I really just thought I was falling in love for the first time and you were and i was i was so what was the first indication
0: that he was
2: a different person so it's still in that magical fairy tale stage one night i'll never forget this night it was a beautiful spring evening and he he planned the most romantic dates and this date was to have a picnic in New York, in Central Park, behind the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And we were on this beautiful grassy hill, and he told me his secret, which he had kept from me for, you know, we had known each other for a couple of months at that point. Um, his secret was that he had been terribly abused as a child. Oh. And I remember um, I had on sunglasses And the tears kept pooling in my eyes as he was telling me what had happened to him. And I remember even then being a little surprised that he wasn't upset. He wasn't crying. Hmm. I was the one crying. And I didn't understand that at the time. Mm -hmm. And when I say that he was abused as a child, I don't mean that he was spanked or that he had a few heartbreaks or disappointments i mean that his stepfather broke his arm (sighs) broke his collarbone broke his ribs starved him in front of the other children oh my god beat his mother in front of him Um, it was horrific abuse and here connor is telling me story after story after story and he's kind of laughing at inappropriate times and here i am just crying but trying not to show it because i didn't want him to think that I wanted, I wanted to hear everything he had to say. I didn't want him to get distracted by my reaction because I knew it was so important for him to tell me everything. And he'd had to drop out of uh, elementary school in eighth grade because of the abuse. And that, looking back, was the first really serious red flag. But I didn't know it was a red flag because I knew nothing, nothing, about abuse and what it does to you to be abused as a child. And what it made me feel was a flood of love and pity and respect Mm. that he had had such a horrific childhood, dropped out of school in eighth grade, but has managed to get back into the US educational system so much so that the, the same time I was graduating from Harvard College, he was graduating from another Ivy League school and he'd fixed himself up. And I just thought, hmm, it made me have so much deep respect for him. And I, I, I remember that evening thinking, I am the luckiest girl in the whole world. That this wonderful guy, who I thought was wonderful before he confessed this, that he's even that much more wonderful. That he's had adversity and he's gotten through it. But that was the first real red flag. And you see, it has nothing to do with him getting angry at me. Hmm. It has nothing to do with him threatening me. It's just that he had had this terrible secret and that it had shaped him in ways that I did not understand at the time. And now I do understand it. But even knowing what I know now, I think I still would have had the same reaction. You were in love. I was in love and also it was, I have a lot of sympathy for people who are abuse victims. Um, and he was a victim and I, and he thought it was terrible. What his stepfather had done to him and his mother. Um, he told me he would never hurt somebody like that again. You know, it actually, in a way that knowing what I know happened eventually with him, it was actually quite diabolical because it made me feel very safe with him. What did he look like? So in my book, crazy love, I. I had to, for legal reasons, I had to disguise his identity quite a bit. Sure. But I would not disguise what he looked like physically. I refused to do that because for some reason it mattered so much. So he looked, he was of um, mostly Irish descent and he was very fair and he had this thick blonde hair and he had a wonderful smile. He looked very innocent. He didn't look like... Hmm. James Bond, like super suave, like that. I think I might have found that to be sort of dangerous. He looked like a farm boy. Really? Um, and he had a great laugh and just a very easy way about him. I often will say to people that he was 51% the most disturbed person I've ever met, but 49% the gentlest, kindest, funniest. And that's the person I fell in love with, that kind, gentle person. And mm-hmm. I I don't know, hmm. looking back, if it was all a facade or, I don't think it was. I don't think he tried to trick me on purpose. I don't think, I think he targeted me, but I think he really was inside himself trying to be that sweet, innocent boy who he had been hmm. before he had been abused and really warped as a child.
0: So what are the statistics
2: of this? Because you hear more and more of it. So the statistics are are shocking, how common abuse is, that one in three women will be abused at some point in her lifetime. And not just women. Right, and men, the numbers, the, Abuse is a vastly underreported and underprosecuted crime. Yep. And a lot of people who are abused don't even understand that they were abused, so they, they can't possibly report it. Mm. And the numbers for men are even harder to get a handle on. Some numbers are one in four, one in six, one in seven. But it's enough to say that abuse is something that is very common, that almost everybody goes through it. Some, stage of their life or you know somebody a -hmm. a close friend or a family member and abuse happens in every community every religion every income level Um, it's it's everywhere every ethnicity abuse is a very common human experience and i say that not to say that it's okay but just to normalize it so that if you have been abused know that you're in very good company and that it's a very common experience that we think is rare because people are so reluctant to talk about it sure it's embarrassing i would think it wasn't embarrassing for me necessarily but i'm very unusual i was never ashamed that i was abused Mm -hmm. Um, i always knew that it was something wrong in him broken in him not in me Um, and i kept it a secret for a long time not because i was ashamed but because i wanted to protect him
0: so Leslie, I can't help but ask this question. You were married how long?
2: I was with him for four years. We were married for about two and a half.
0: Okay. At what point did you realize? I mean, you're a you are a beautiful woman. Well, thank you. He probably did stalk you, but uh, smart and from a good family mm-hmm. and from from everything you would think wouldn't happen on that side of the track. So I'm glad you said, no, it happens everywhere. If someone's watching the show here and this is part of their life, their journey, what advice would you give them?
2: So I would say that it's very important to learn everything that you possibly can about the complexity of domestic violence and abusive relationships, including emotional abuse. And there is a lot of information available online now about it. There, there are the national domestic violence hotline. Love is not abuse. Um, You can come to my website, which is Leslie books. I have a lot of information there. Learn about it because the best inoculation is to learn about what abuse really looks and feels like. And it's very, very surprising Yes. because I think that for some reason, We think, we being everybody in our society, you, me, everybody listening, we think that abuse is obvious and it's not. Abusers don't hit you on the first date. Sometimes they don't hit you at all. And abuse victims are not pathetic and abuse perpetrators are not monsters. We're human beings just like everybody else. And a lot of abusers are very lovable, and we mm-hmm. feel sorry for them, and we want to help them.
0: Well, how many times do we hear on the news, Leslie, that someone something like this happened, and neighbors say, I would never have ever thought that he or she... I haven't heard of anyone that's the female abuser, but whatever it is, that it's surprising that they're just... No beautiful people walking around you shared with me earlier leslie about
2: uh, even before you got married would you tell that story of what happened so after the fairy tale came a a long period of isolation where he had to get me to leave my job in new york and move out of new york city because it's much easier to abuse somebody who is isolated get you out of your neighborhood so that the very people who could help me were one step removed and Uh you can you can isolate people geographically financially physically emotionally psychologically and he did all of those one of the most important things that he did was that he separated me from my friends and family he very skillfully um, alienated me from my own family and and they knew it they Knew it, but there, it's very hard to reach somebody at that stage when I was so in love with him. And mm-hmm. I thought that he was the, the finest person that I'd ever met and that I was going to marry him because I didn't want to hear anything negative about him. And also, he had prepared for this. He had said, now, the, the people who, and when you think about it, who's going to help you the most? Your mom right? So my mother was the most important person to alienate. And he started, Connor started very slowly by saying things like, well, I know your mom is so wonderful, but you've got to understand she is getting divorced after a 32 year marriage from your dad. It's a very hard thing for your mom to go through. And it's just at the same time that we're falling in love. And it's going to be hard for her to see you falling in love and us falling in love and starting out just at the time that her marriage is ending. So at some point she's gonna try to sabotage our relationship and she's gonna do it by attacking me and criticizing me. Oh my goodness, manipulative. And so that's exactly what happened. Mm. My mother came to me and said, you know, I'm a little worried about him. Uh He seems angry, he seems troubled. and I thought, God, he's a genius. How did he know this was gonna happen? Mm. And it worked because I said, thank you very much, mom, but I love but, him mm-hmm. and you're sad because your marriage is ending and I'm, I'm gonna go with him.
0: So Leslie, the final thing that, that caused you to leave, I mean, you said he almost killed you. That's right. very, very strong right. words. Right. So what was it that got you finally to be able to,
2: whatever you had to do, get out? Well, let me tell you the story of the the first time that he hit me mm. and then I'll tell you about the last time too. And all you can imagine what happened in between. But the first time he attacked me was five days before our wedding. And before I before your wedding, I had planned the perfect wedding, you know, beautiful wedding. And he he didn't hit me. He strangled me. Oh. Which is much worse, but I was able to say to myself, well, he didn't hit me. (laughs) And he strangled me and he used the chokehold, sort of like what you would do in shaken baby syndrome that he used it to hit my head up against the wall, which is really dangerous, I know now. And Mm. at at the time I knew it was dangerous too, um, because it felt like attempted murder. It felt I couldn't breathe, I couldn't scream. I, on a physical level, knew that he could kill me very quickly by doing that. Um, But, but, there had been really no lead up to this in my mind. And so, and it came out of the blue and I was going to marry him in five days. So I just thought that he had cold feet, that he was panicking. Everybody says men get cold feet. And I knew he would never do it again. I knew he'd never do it again because... He, couldn't, he didn't wanna risk losing me because he had been telling me for forever that I was the best thing that had ever happened to him and he loved me so much. So I married him anyway. He attacked me twice more on our honeymoon and the rest of our married life was him abusing me physically. And quickly, my life went from a fairy tale to a nightmare. And I didn't know what to do because I loved him and I wanted to help him. And I'd been raised to be a strong, smart, independent woman who helps men. The last time, and it's going to sound shocking and uh, to, to you or anybody listening, and it was shocking to me, too, how, how quickly it happened that we went from being an in-love couple to two and a half years later, him, what he did, he barricaded me in our bedroom. We were at Wharton Business School together. Um, and he beat me for hours and hours and hours. Oh, like, And I was unconscious yeah. from most of it. He, he had three guns at that point. He used all of them to scare me and to hurt me. Um, I was, he had ripped off all my clothes. So I was naked in my own bedroom, my tiny little bedroom, um, thinking he was going to kill me, knowing he was going to kill me. And up until this point, I had honestly never really been afraid because the abuse happens and escalates so quick so slowly that you you get used to it believe it or not and i had also never called the police because i wasn't i didn't really think up until that night that he was going to kill me i wasn't afraid and also i knew what would happen if i called the police i knew that the relationship would end because i knew he would get in very big trouble and i didn't want the relationship to end I wanted the violence to end, but I did not want the relationship to end. I wanted to go back to the fairytale days when we had been so in love and he had been my biggest champion and my soulmate and the person I wanted to spend my life with. But that night there was something very different about what happened. And so at the end of that beating, when he finally calmed down, um, he left. I asked him to leave to just give me some time to collect myself. And as soon as he left, I called the police. And that was really the end. There's a lot more to the story because it was hard. It was very hard to leave and to get away from him mm-hmm. and to recover my life and my financial footing and my self-esteem. But that was the end when I picked up the phone and called the police.
0: I'm so glad you did. And thank God you're now happily. Tell us about what you're doing now. There's hope. Here's there's the so deal. Much hope, I right? want
2: the audience to know there's hope. I mean, look at me. Yeah, you know, I Tell obviously you I've lived a great life. Yeah, so that happened right before I graduated from Morton Business School. Uh, and I managed to graduate despite the trauma of everything having happened. And I got a great job and I rebuilt my life. And I eventually remarried uh, a man who would never hit anybody or hurt anybody. I had three children with him. Um, I had a successful career. And eventually the time came where I wanted to tell this story. And I had a very successful corporate marketing career for Johnson & Johnson and eventually the Washington Post. And, but I wanted to tell this story because I heard so many people say, just like this, well, Valerie, what I don't understand is why she doesn't just leave. Exactly. And it made me so angry. And I wanted to answer that question so that anybody would understand it. So I wrote my book, Crazy Love, that really is a... It's an explanation for why i didn't leave mm-hmm. and why why it's so hard to leave and why the love and the pity we feel is so strong uh, and I also did a TED talk on why victims stay and that the answer is what why it's very complicated it's not what you think it's not that we 're ashamed um, and it's for there's so many things that it's a cocktail
0: and it's not just i mean.
2: We're afraid it's not a
0: pattern of everybody, this is what will
2: right. But, be- right. But everybody has elements of this, that, right. that we are afraid, because what we know instinctively is the truth, which mm-hmm. is that 70 percent of domestic violence homicides happen after we've ended the relationship. So leaving is very, very dangerous. We also know that they're smart and charming, and that people might believe them instead of us, So we're afraid we won't be believed. We have often have children to protect. I didn't have children to protect. And strangely, you would think that staying in an abusive relationship would be the worst thing you can do for your children. But a lot of people feel like it's the safest thing because they, the abusers often threaten that if we leave, they'll kill the children. They'll kill us. They'll kill the children. And we watch the news too. We know that some of them do. Um, I, at that point, I didn't have any money because I had given it all to him. I'd given him control of my entire life. Um, out of love, and misguided love, um, and he had a lot of power over me. And it took a long time and a lot of very careful planning to safely leave. Mm-hmm. And it took—it takes the average domestic violence mm-hmm. victim seven attempts to leave. And it's a probably exactly what it took me. I left many times, seven times, and I came back because I—I I wasn't quite ready. I wasn't quite scared enough, and I didn't have enough support. Uh, but that when I finally did call the police, I. I think it, unconsciously in my mind, I'd been planning it for months and months and months. And I was able to get support right away.
0: What happened to him?
2: So nothing happened to him. Don't tell me that. Nothing happened to him. He was not arrested. He was never prosecuted. Um, so nothing happened to him. But what I will say to you is that he lost me. And I was the, be- I was the best thing that had ever happened to him. And the strongest, smartest, you know, advocate for him, and he lost me. And he never—he never amounted to much. Um, he went on to have other relationships that I believe were also abusive. And I'm—I'm I'm lucky that he's hasn't been a part in my, of my life for a long, long time. I was free and a lot of victims are not free especially if we've had children Mm -hmm. uh, with them that's in in its own way it's a terrible life sentence none of us would regret our children but it gives the abuser a lot of power over us and i'm free enough that i could write the book crazy love and i could be an advocate um, to warn other women and to help other women and to say it has nothing to do with how smart you are or how not smart or what religion or any other of the mythology, mm-hmm. it's, it's never a victim's fault. And it wasn't my fault and it's nobody's fault.
0: And, and on that, you said to me, Leslie, that they always blame you when they are abusing you. That right. it's always you provoke, the other person is provoking what
2: happens, which is... That's exactly right. And my ex had a, a long list of subjects I was not allowed to talk about uh-huh. um, because they were too triggering for him. And they were money education his job my job children you know my family his family um everything was triggering to him but you know what was the most triggering to him actually was the fact that i loved him that's the thing that provoked the violence that's why abusers don't abuse their bosses or their coaches or their best friends are their neighbors, they only abuse their partners and their children because those are the people who are so close that they trigger all of their fears of abandonment and their fears of, be- of vulnerability. That's what I did to him. And so the more that I loved him, the more that I triggered him. And when I realized that in some ways it gave me the freedom to leave because I realized I was making it worse by loving him and by being with him and that I, I, I couldn't help him at all. So two questions
0: would you want to see him again have you and if you did what
2: would you say it's a very good question for a long time i never wanted to see him again i was terrified and it felt like a a different chapter of my life like a nightmare that had happened to somebody else and i wanted the door to be closed but now i'm i'm almost 60 he's older than i am so he's almost 70 I don't feel, I still feel afraid of him in it. So that if he walked in the door right Mm -hmm. now, I would start to shake. I would be so afraid of him even now because fear like that gets in your bones and it never leaves you. But I would also, I would really, I'd want to talk to him and I'd Mm -hmm. want to know what his side is and what has he done with his life and what could the world have done to help him and to prevent him from perpetuating the cycle of abuse and pushing away the women who wanted to help him, like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would want to know that. And I would also, if he had it in him to be honest, I would want to, I would want to hear that he's sorry. Yeah. I would want to hear that. And I don't know if he could ever give me that, but I would want to hear that. I'm fine. Yes, I, you I've, are more than fine. I need nothing from him. But the part of me that loved him and that felt empathetic for him, that is still there. And if I could in a safe way talk to him, I would talk to him. And I, I've always wished him well, in large part because he couldn't, he couldn't hurt me. I was free, I didn't have children, he didn't have financial control over me. Um, so I've, I've forgiven him, I forgave him long ago because I, I see him very much as a victim too. And the way that I put it is that it's not his fault what he did to me, but it's his responsibility, what he did. And he's, he and every abuser, are, are, they're the only person who is responsible for what they, what they do. And our justice system should hold them accountable. And, but I also wanna to say to you that he always blamed me, but our society always blames victims and women. And when people ask, why doesn't she just leave? I'll tell you the answer, it's because of us It's because of me and you and everybody else out there who perpetuates this mythology, starting when we're very young. What, who are you gonna marry when you're gonna grow grow up? Are you a princess? Oh, you're, you know, all of this mythology about being a princess and men saving us and that we can help men and that a good woman stands by her man. All of that mythology feeds into it, All you know? I think that's changing us. I think it is changing. Absolutely. But it goes deep. And we love, in our culture, we love to blame female victims, whether you're a victim of domestic violence or sexual assault or stalking or trafficking. Everybody, without realizing it, asks the wrong questions that blame people. Well, and it's not as obvious as, well, what were you wearing? But, you know, why did you stay? Why didn't you leave after the first time? Police officers will ask this. Well, why did you have a second child with him if you knew right. he, was, he had already abused mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. All of these questions, even the question of why doesn't she just leave, is a victim-blaming statement. We, we never ask. Nobody has ever asked me, why did he hit you? They've, they always ask why I didn't leave. Mm-hmm. Why was he so crazy enough to push away a strong, <laughs> smart, independent woman like me who wanted to help him? That's the craziest thing in crazy love is why didn't he say, Oh, thank you for helping me? This is what I need. I need a strong woman who will stand by me and help me.
0: Because they don't think like
2: we do. Right, they don't. And he didn't really want help. He wanted it to be my fault. So now again, back to hope. Right, there's so much hope. I want to say there's so much hope. That's that's most of us get out. Most we need help. We need a lot of help. Mm -hmm. I needed so much help. I needed those police officers. I needed an advocate in family court. I needed a judge who believed me and um, validated my restraining order. Mm. Uh, I needed a locksmith. I needed my friends and family. I needed an army of people, but I got it. Thank God. I was very lucky that I got the help that I needed. But when we get help like Mm. that, we can completely rebuild our lives. And no one wants to do this twice. Trust me. We want to stay away from dangerous people. But we need a lot of help to, to get back on our feet. And fortunately, in our country at least, there's a lot of help. Almost every community has a, a domestic violence shelter, yes. a hotline, a place where you can go for help and legal advice mm-hmm. and a way to, to rebuild your life. Now, I'm not gonna say that it's easy, but there are a lot of people out there who, think, who know abuse is wrong and want to help us. And every victim needs it.
0: and and that's exactly the last thing i wanted to ask which is what were you able to do to get help where did your help come from besides
2: what you've said the most important thing (laughs) that i did was that i just told the truth i broke the silence about what was happening to me and i told the truth again and again You talked about it. I'm in the process of leaving a man who abused me. I told my mother the truth. I told my friends the truth. um, I told the police the truth. Mm -hmm. I told the domestic violence advocate the truth. By telling the truth, I was able to get help. And that is what saved me, is that people came out of the woodwork to help me. um, And I didn't lie. I had been lying for years about what he was doing. But once I left him, once that final night that I called the police, I never lied again even though it meant that he got in a lot of trouble and that he was ashamed and he you know, had a hard road. Um, but I realized that I had to protect myself and I had to put myself first. And that's not a message that women get very often, that it's okay to put yourself first, mm-hmm. uh, that we have to. In order to live the life that we were meant to live, we have to put ourselves first.
0: There's a balance, isn't there? Take mm-hmm. care of yourself. If we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anybody else. Exactly. Well, the good news is, Leslie, uh, Gosh, thank you, first of all, for such a deep, deep conversation and one that's needed and necessary, which is why I wanted you to come on the show. This is a topic that's not easy to talk about. Right. It's not easy to listen to either.
2: Anybody who's listening, bravo to you. You're breaking the silence, too.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, What I wanted to end with was I always ask the guests to give the audience some teachable, well, lessons learned. I call them teachable points Mm -hmm. of view, which is what you're doing. Now you are an advocate. You're going all over the world. Talking about this, you've got your wonderful life, your real life over here and the good one with your family and dog Labrador. What's his name? Right. Chief. Chief. Okay. So now you're the family person over here, but you're still going around the world as an advocate. What, When you do all these talks maybe two or three things that you would say look these are my lessons i've learned
2: the most important thing is to tell the truth about your experience if you are not safe at home if you are being abused emotionally physically financially psychologically find people to tell people you trust who will crawl into that really dark hole with you and help you get out and That's the most important thing. The other thing that is so important, the other thing that is so important is to invest in yourself. And I think this is a message that women don't hear enough. Invest in your education, invest in your career, invest in your economic freedom, invest in your self-esteem because you need to, you're gonna to need to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. There is no Prince Charming. And it's, it's unfair to us as women to think that there's a Prince Charming. It's also unfair to men. It puts too much of a burden on them. on them. You're gonna to have to be your own best friend and invest now no matter what age you are and you'll be very happy that you did that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for being willing I, to go there with me oh my goodness and talk about these hard very hard subjects but this is this is the reality of what it means mm-hmm. to really to be alive there's there but difficult things happen to everybody and if you can find somebody who holds your hand through it and helps you and if you can hold that person's hand you're going to get through it and i i find that it's other women who've really gotten me through men have been important too but it's mostly really gritty strong other women so thank you for being one of them (laughs) well thank
0: you for being with me and i have to tell the audience you've got to read this book should you be interested because it answers all the questions more deeply and other questions i didn't ask uh crazy love but you have four books now yes here's three of them
2: i want you to go to her website which is lesliebooks.com I'm very easy to find. You can also just Google Leslie Morgan Steiner and you'll find me. And my books are there and articles and my email is there. I love to communicate uh, with readers or people who've watched the TED Talks. I'm, I like to connect with other people.
0: That, that's great that you really will. And, and I always say to my audience, the guests that I have on are authentic people or they wouldn't be on. And that means that, yes, like Leslie said, she's willing to have a conversation, email her, right? If you have any other questions that she could be helpful in uh, in working with you or, or guiding you in resources. So again, Leslie, and you are here doing a lot of events and that's what you're doing now. So let me just leave by asking you to tell the audience, what are you doing? What does it mean that now you
2: are an advocate? So I travel all over the world advocating for men, women, and children who are Mm -hmm. victims of intimate partner violence. And I go to conferences, I go to fundraisers, I meet with police and judges and um, advocates. And I happen to be here for a wonderful um, Texas uh, event called the Conference on Crimes Against Women. Ah, okay. And it is run by Genesis, which is a domestic violence advocacy shelter and group. Uh And they put on a conference, a four-day conference that tries to really understand what we can do to empower law enforcement. It was co-founded by Genesis and the FBI and the Dallas Police Department uh, almost 20 years ago to get detectives and sheriffs and police officers and advocates and lawyers, the information and tools they need to try to end violence against men, women and children. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: That's great. You're doing wonderful work. Thank you. I'm lucky to be doing this work. It's a great privilege.
0: She's pretty special, isn't she? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I do encourage you to uh, look at her website because it's a beautiful website. Number one, I just redid mine, so I appreciate the fact that yours is so
2: simple and beautiful and elegant thank you. as you are. And thank wish you God's thank blessings. You. Well, thank, you. God's thank blessings. you. I've had many, many blessings, despite the hard things that have happened. And I think that writing Crazy Love and using it as a way to connect with other people has been one of the, the greatest blessings of my entire life. Mm. That
0: takes courage, audience. That is a woman of courage. And I appreciate that. Now I want to give you a Valerieism because you know I always do. And here it is for today. Look at your life. You're stronger now. Kind of fits, doesn't it? I think all of us, I was thinking about this Valerieism. I come up with them, by the way, just last minute. They just sort of come. I don't know how many I've done now, but this one I thought about my own life and in talking with other people about any of our journeys. Mine happened to have been the greatest tragedy was the loss of our 20-year-old son in a car wreck. But it doesn't have to be traumatic to have a loss. You could have a loss of a lot of things, a job. How many of you have lost jobs during these last several years? Whatever it is, it's traumatic to you And this is when you go through these trials, that there's some place you can look for help. It's other people, like Leslie said. It's advocates. It's also a God that loves you. And he's got your back. And that's what happened to me. That's what got me through was my faith. So hang in there. You are stronger for every single thing you go through. So just realize the muscles emotionally are growing. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And as we've said, there's always hope. Don't ever give up that. There's always hope. So until next time, stay authentic, keep doing things right. Bye for now.
1: Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, valerieandcompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.